Welcome to The Remedy, brought to you by NYC Health and Hospitals, innovating public health care to benefit all New Yorkers. Hey, everyone. I'm Michael Shen. Every New Yorker deserves to live a healthy life, and access to great health care is closer than you might think. Our theme for today's episode is a really, really important topic, women's health. And to discuss this, I'm excited to be joined by two wonderful guests. First, I'll be joined by Dr. Marisa Nadash, Reproductive Health Clinical Lead at NYC Health and Hospitals. Then I will have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Wendy Wilcox, Chief Women's Health Officer at NYC Health and Hospitals. Throughout our conversations, we're going to be focusing on how our system is advocating and supporting women in the face of restrictions in other parts of the nation, and how we're expanding women's health services for everyone who needs it. Good to see you again, Marisa. Nice to see you too. I actually wanted to know a little bit about you and your background, and then also what you do at Health and Hospitals. So I'm an OBGYN physician and a subspecialist in complex family planning. And I'm clinically based in health and hospitals in the Bronx at Jacobi North Central Bronx. I oversee the abortion service for the two hospitals. And then on the system level, I also oversee abortion and contraception care and access in the system. So my time is really beautifully divided between direct patient care at my hospitals and then public health work on the system level. That sounds like a really big job. And it also sounds really complex. How did you choose to go into women's health in particular? Reproduction and control over building families, if we want to, when we want to, and how we want to, is really paramount to autonomy for all people. And so I think that when I was in medical school, I knew that I wanted to support people in achieving their optimal health and well-being. And when I discovered the field of OBGYN and the fact that that was a way we could have such a direct impact on this incredibly intimate decision around our bodies and controlling our bodies, but really specifically around reproduction, I realized that that was a way to have a maximal impact. You talked a little bit about bodily autonomy and... I wanted to get at this concept of reproductive justice that we've talked about before. How does that look like on the ground in the clinics? What's the experience of a patient coming into one of our clinics in terms of feeling that bodily autonomy, that control over their own reproductive rights? Yeah. Well, in order to really achieve that, we have to embed it in all touch points for patients. When I see a patient, the first thing I say is just, how can I help you today? Because we don't know what they're coming into that space with. And we don't even know if that appointment was booked appropriately or have they had something change in their lives since the time that they made that appointment. So I think that we recognize as providers that we need to give space for patients to share with us where they're at in that moment. And then they can be our guide in terms of what the next steps are. Never has it been more apparent to me the space that we give patients than recently when we started um, training OBGYN residents from Texas who are now traveling to New York for training because they are not able to get any exposure to abortion care in Texas anymore. Wow. And the first thing that the residents generally say on the first day of their rotation is that they are just so struck by the way we talk to patients about their options. And that their experience from Texas is just that 
they don't talk about the options. They just don't open the space because they don't have a way to actually give the patients what they may want. And so they only open the space to the extent that they'll be able to meet the demand or the need. And so just hearing the way that we open the space so broadly and are able to let the patient guide is really striking to them. Actually, I didn't know we had residents from Texas, actually. What program is this? Yeah, they come from UT Houston, and they've been rotating at Jacoby North Central Bronx Hospital. You mentioned earlier that we have a really great new program with a patient navigator that helps people find their way through a complex system. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes. Uh, I am so incredibly proud and honored to work with our patient navigator. So, It is a new program that started last year, very timely. In June of 2022, she came on board and she is, we call her our reproductive health navigator. She's a patient navigator specifically for people seeking abortion care. And her role is to assist people who need an extra level of support. We offer such amazing care in health and hospitals, but figuring out how to connect into our system can sometimes be difficult. And she's doing such a great job networking with people outside of our system so that they know to use her as that primary touch point. Just last week, I met a patient in clinic who had traveled to us from the South. And in her home state, abortion is maximally restricted, and she didn't dare even speak about her pregnancy with anyone. She traveled to a nearby state, which is less restrictive, only to learn that she didn't meet that state's requirements. And so from there, the provider there actually knew of our patient navigator and referred the patient to our reproductive health navigator. And then our reproductive health navigator connected her with the amazing abortion funds in New York City to support her travel and lodging. And she came and she got her care with us. Oh, so it was actually an out-of-state contact that knew about our program and they connected her to our patient navigator. Yeah. And the amount of gratitude that she had for finally being able to get the care that she was looking for. It was so profound. And, you know, she made me want to go to work the next day because she was just so deeply grateful. That's really great to hear. Speaking of making things kind of easier to access, we also have a virtual way of accessing care. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about it? (laughs) So we were able to launch just this fall a telehealth abortion service. And what that is, is it's built on the platform of Virtual Express Care, which is a service that has been active now for a few years, started in 2020 and very quickly became a major provider for COVID care and therapeutics across the city and state. And so we were able to open a new branch of that tried and true platform specifically for abortion care. And so with this new service, people are able to call in. It's an on-demand system. So without an appointment, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., seven days a week, they can call and speak with a provider within a matter of minutes and find out about the options that are available to them, undergo a full screening and assessment. And then if they are interested in a medication abortion and are eligible for a telehealth medication abortion without additional testing, then we're able to mail the medication to them at home and they receive it within a few days and then are able to take the medication. Since the Dobbs decision, which basically overturned Roe v. Wade, we've seen a lot of different responses in every state. And I feel lucky to be in New York State 
in a lot of ways. But I know that there's still a lot of feelings out there about not being sure what the right move is, what's allowed or not. Can you speak to those fears a little bit? And what's kind of a common thing that you hear from, let's say, your patients? Yeah. I remember just a week or two after the Dobbs decision, I had a patient come in. She was experiencing a miscarriage in the first trimester, and she was there for a procedure, an aspiration procedure to take care of her miscarriage. And right before she went to sleep for the procedure, she took my hand and she said, is what I'm doing allowed? Is this going to be okay? And I was so struck by it because it just highlighted for me the confusion that exists and that is generated by the anti-abortion movement. Because first of all, she had a miscarriage. She wasn't even seeking an abortion. And in New York, it is a fully protected right at this moment in time. And it was then. And she still just had this fear that she was going to somehow get in trouble. So the fear and confusion is very real and really does produce a chilling effect, which is what we call it in healthcare when even something that is actually allowed is not being accessed because of the uncertainty around it. Yeah, I like that you brought up that language of the chilling effect. That's kind of like, I think of it as this invisible barrier to accessing care that people actually need. Yeah, and we also see it among providers, right? There's laws are passed that are, not written in medical terminology, not written by healthcare providers. And then healthcare providers are left to try to interpret it and understand what this means in terms of delivering medical care. And so there is also a chilling effect in terms of providing care that maybe is technically allowed under the law, but because of the uncertainty and fears around it, sometimes people are hesitant to do so. And why do you think it's important for people to have abortion access via telehealth? You know, New York City Health and Hospitals has been offering a full spectrum of medication and procedural abortion throughout our hospital-based clinics for many years. But what we know about telehealth services is that they are one way to overcome many of the barriers that people face when accessing care. Telehealth allows people to access care without taking off as much time from work without necessarily finding childcare coverage, without covering transportation costs. And so we have learned, especially during the pandemic, when the amount of telehealth really expanded significantly, we learned that telehealth is a really important way to overcome barriers. Now, we also know that just like we see disparities in other forms of access to healthcare, there are also significant disparities in access to telehealth services and that they tend to be accessed more and available more to wealthier, whiter communities. And so this is why it is so important that we offer telehealth services within New York City Health and Hospitals and that we offer them to all of the communities that we serve. And in terms of abortion care specifically, abortion care is no different from all of the other types of services that people are accessing. People deserve to be able to access abortion care in the way that they are most comfortable. And that includes accessing it from home as well as coming in in person if that's what they choose. Thank you. It was really great talking to you. I've learned a lot about women's health in our system. And I'm sad to say it's actually something that I don't know as much about system-wide, you know, what we're doing because I'm so steeped in just regular primary care. But 
I think it's wonderful. Thank you so much, Michael, for choosing this topic for one of the podcasts. I appreciate you sort of lifting it up as important. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Marisa. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Nadash. And thank you for all the work you do to keep New York City healthy. Now, I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Wendy Wilcox, Chief Women's Health Officer at NYC Health and Hospitals, to continue our conversation on women's health. Dr. Wilcox, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Thanks for being here. You're the Chief Women's Health Service Officer. Prior to this role, you were chief of OBGYN at Kings County Hospital, and there you advanced a lot of programs to improve maternal mortality. And I know that this is your passion. I wanted to ask you how you came to that, what are some of the motivations and challenges associated with that? That is an excellent question. I don't know if you know this, in 2011, when New York State first really started to look at it's standing in terms of maternal mortality. Hmm. We were not doing great. <laughs> we were somewhere near 46 or 47th out of 50 hmm. states, which is crazy. And you say to yourself, when is New York State 47 mm-hmm. out of anything? And most recently, in the most recent report that came out in 2020, we were 23rd. So really over the past 15 to 20 years, I would say the stakeholders around New York, and that would include our hospital associations, our departments of health, both New York State and New York City, all of our maternity hospitals, ACOG, our professional Mm -hmm. organization, just all of the stakeholders have really been just working very hard at Mm -hmm. all aspects of the problem to really try to drive down the incidence of maternal mortality and severe maternal morbidity. And what we've shown is that when the work started, the top three causes of maternal death were severe hypertension in pregnancy, mm-hmm. maternal hemorrhage, obstetric hemorrhage, and venous thromboembolism. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that those are still not problems, but we're facing some different causes today, some some of the higher fruit, so to speak, things that are a little more complex to solve, such as maternal heart cardiac conditions. Hmm. You know, we're really trying to get our thoughts and our arms around that in terms of trying to predict and diagnose who might be at risk for a cardiac condition. We've expanded the definition. So the CDC has promoted looking at deaths, not just up to 42 days post-birth, which was the World Health Organization definition, which is how we compare ourselves to other countries, mm-hmm. but really looking at deaths within a year mm-hmm. post-ending a pregnancy, which allows for just a much more comprehensive review mm-hmm. of what goes on. And, and what we found is that the harder we work at this, as well as hospital systems and in the medical space, What we've seen is that the deaths are now occurring more remote from the delivery time. So about- Like how far along? How far after? So about a third are between 43 days and a year Mm. of pregnancy, and two thirds are in the postpartum period up to Mm. a year post-delivery. And the reason why, I think you mentioned this in your introduction- that this intersects with what's going on in this post-Roe era, 
right? Mm-hmm. So everything that's going on to really curtail women's health care. And that's yeah. that abortion is women's health care, right? Let's just be very clear. So what's happening is that women in some states are being forced to carry what we know to be non-viable pregnancies. Doctors are afraid to intervene for fear of retribution and legal issues, jail even. And the mother's life has to be in danger. Well, we can predict sometimes what happens from the early signs of infection to late stages, right? When someone's life might really be infected. And so do we really need to let things progress to the point where someone's on death's door Hmm. and risk that person's life because of all these artificial barriers that have been put up. And it's really just very sad to see. There are women yeah. who've said that they've almost bled to death, right? Because people didn't want to intervene until the last minute. I mean, it's very scary. Yeah. So a while ago, I had toured Jacoby and I had heard about the simulation center up there and all the great work that we're doing around training providers or staff around labor and delivery. Yeah. I wanted to hear a little bit more about that. Sure. Sure. I'm so glad you brought that up. Simulation is a really amazing tool that's in our arsenal to try to help train our staff to deal with events that should be never events, right? So some of the simulations that come to mind are things like severe obstetric hemorrhage or cardiac arrest while pregnant, Uh, right? We have, as a system, invested a lot. We have high fidelity mannequins that look Mm -hmm. like our patients, which is, we were like the first in the nation to be able to get mannequins. They're called the Noel doll or other types of simulation dolls that are black or brown Mm -hmm. and that look like our patients, which we thought was incredibly important. Yeah, I got a chance to see them and I don't remember one, and this is a structural issue. I don't remember once in any of my training, whether it was basic life support, ACLS, or any sim training where there were varying skin tones. And when I saw these mannequins, I thought that was really wonderful to truly like invest in training for our community. Because it acknowledges a bias, right? Yeah. If you're only going to have mannequins that are Caucasian, then that in itself is propagating a bias toward your learners. And so in this way, and our SIM team that's led by Dr. Michael Megarducian, who's who leads our SIM lab at Jacoby. And he and his team have been really amazing in the OB space uh-huh. and have really tried to embed issues of bias and racial bias in our simulations so that our teams, when they're discussing what happens after the fact, also are able to discuss those aspects. I spoke to Dr. Nadash about our abortion services. And when we rolled out our telehealth abortion services, I understand that that was the first time that a large system had done that in the nation. Why is this so critical right now? This is really critical because we've seen in other states that people are, as I said, trying to reduce access and women's health care by abortion services. And this is a way of expanding that. It is for people who reside 
in New York. <laughs> so you mm-hmm. have to be in New York to receive these services. Mm-hmm. But it's a way of opening things up, right? It's a way of telegraphing to our community that we are here to serve and not just nine to five, Monday through Friday, right? So mm-hmm. people might work during those hours. So if they have questions, if they need an appointment, they can call and get a warm body on the phone and find out how to help navigate our system. And if they choose to have a medication abortion and are able to have the medicine delivered to them, that is another easy way to have this medical service delivered to you and they can get medication delivered to them within 48 hours. Yeah. I mentioned earlier that you still keep a foot in the clinic on the ground at Harlem Hospital. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about that. It is just really refreshing to see patients, patients who come in with all sorts of concerns and are genuinely happy to be seen by a, usually a female physician such as myself. They usually, you know, they're like, oh, I have, you know, Mm -hmm. it's amazing how many patients may not feel that they are able to have choices Mm -hmm. in terms of who they seek care from. But I still do prenatal care. I still do gynecologic care. I'll do comprehensive contraceptive management. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's nice to keep my feet wet. And also we have to keep our board certification up. Yeah, right. (laughs) This is a very broad question. What are we doing as a health system to save women's lives? I'm so happy you asked that. (laughs) Thank you for asking that. So in 2018, New York City Health and Hospitals received funding from City Hall to address maternal mortality and severe maternal morbidity. And uh, we were asked to put together a comprehensive program at that time, that was 2018. And we did so. And the areas which we chose to focus on were simulation, which we talked about earlier. And at that time, it was a simulation program aimed at the top three causes of maternal mortality at that time. And we rolled out cardiac arrest during pregnancy, severe hypertension in pregnancy, and severe obstetric hemorrhage. So those were the three simulations that were rolled out. We built six mini simulation labs adjacent to our labor and delivery suites in six of our trauma hospitals. We designed a program called the Maternal Home, which is still running today. The Maternal Home is a program that is in our maternity hospital clinics. Uh And we have maternal home coordinators and social workers who are able to receive referrals and really provide a warm touch to patients and screen them and assess them for things that might lead to adverse pregnancy outcomes. So some of the top things that come to mind are people with high-risk clinical conditions, such as diabetes or high blood pressure, that might need some extra services during pregnancy, and they can help them navigate that. Women with behavioral health needs. Interestingly enough, since 2020, we saw more than 100% increase in behavioral health referrals from our practices, and also patients with needs of social determinants of health And certainly with the recent 
asylum seeker population, and we're seeing a lot of patients in our clinics dealing with that, we definitely have an increase in patients with social determinants needs as well. And our maternal home teams help patients, like I said, coordinate care both within our hospital systems and outside of them to places in the community where they can get resources and extra support. And it's just really been a wonderful program that continues to this day. Got it. Your role is so varied and you have a lot of different responsibilities to balance. And I was wondering what brings you joy in your work? (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for asking that. What brings me joy? I just think I'm so lucky to and blessed to really be able to do the job that I do. You know, it really does feel like it's the culmination of everything I've been working for since the beginning of my career. And I'm just really thrilled to have the opportunity to be able to work with my colleagues on system level interventions that we know and hope will improve the care of women we serve. So that's what brings me joy. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. This has been great. Appreciate the interview. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's all the time we have today. I want to say a big thank you to Dr. Wendy Wilcox and Dr. Marisa Nadash for joining me on the show today and discussing the role NYC Health and Hospitals is playing in supporting women's health. Thanks as well to you for listening. Please remember to leave a review and subscribe. We're just getting started. I'm Dr. Michael Shen, and this has been The Remedy, brought to you by NYC Health and Hospitals. See you next time. This podcast was produced by Amaze Media Labs.